Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. If you would join me in Psalm 119. I'll do my best not to preach through the whole psalm. It is the longest psalm, the longest book in Scripture. But we're going to begin in 105, Psalm 119, verse 105. Today we're going to talk just a little about the importance of the Word. And Psalm 119, the whole chapter is devoted to the benefits of and the commitment to the, uh, the Word of God, the statutes, the commands, the instruction of the Lord. And today I want to, to teach just on a small passage of that larger passage and um, reaffirm our church's commitment, uh, both as a church, and, and I can only do that for my part, but as individual people who make up the church, uh, the body of Christ, we would reaffirm our commitment to that as well both as we remember and, uh, and as we project for the future. So if you found Psalm 119, verse 105, it says this, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. Lord, today as we read your word, I pray that you would illuminate our minds and our hearts and allow us to see uh, what you would have for us both individually and collectively today. Help us to, to maybe hear something that would provoke, uh, maybe stimulate a renewed commitment. And I just ask that you would uh, have your way. Lord, may we feel your presence and may your presence show us the path. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to work back through this um, passage of scripture and I'm just give you a little commentary as we go along and uh, and disclose a few applicable parts at the very end. So uh, we begin in, again in Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet. Now we think about the word of God being a lamp to our feet, what it means that it illuminates the area directly related to our very next step. As a church, I know that we hear often next step, next step, next step. But truly, the Christian life is a series of next steps. And as a Christian, we can never grow cold to our uh, progress as Christians. In our process of sanctification and growing in Christ-likeness, there's always a next step to take. But you know as well as I do that life is a series of daily choices and circumstances. And if we are, we need to recognize that in any given day, at any given moment, when it is time for us to take a next step, there are times where we don't know exactly what to do. 
We don't know which way would glorify God more. We don't know, is that God's voice? Is that my own selfish desires? Is that, is that because it's popular? Is that because it's cultural? Is that because it's right? Is that because I'm rebellious? We often don't even know our own hearts and why we take the steps we take. And so if we wait, and I teach my kids this, if you wait till the moment to take a step to make a decision, your default will always be what comes easy and the natural inclination, not the spiritual So as Christians, we can never wait until we have to make a decision in order to make it. Or we'll make the selfish one, the comfortable one, the easy one. And so Scripture tells us that the Word of God is the mechanism, that the only tool that God has given to us so that when you don't know what to do next, you read the Word of God and it illuminates that next step for us. So when it comes to the daily decisions of what am I supposed to do with this moment, the Word of God is our instruction. And when the Word of God speaks, that's the direction that we take the step in. Once we know which direction the Word of God tells us to take, the Word of God is the lamp to our feet. It illuminates our next step. It is for here, today, now. But not only that, but the Word of God projects the direction in which we are to walk as well. So while it certainly cannot predict every nook and cranny and curve and twist along the road, it does beacon out there for us the direction in which we are to walk. And so while I don't know what it looks like right there, I can see the direction that I am to walk. The Word of God illuminates not only this moment, today, now, but it also shows me the direction that I should be walking. So it is not only the lamp unto my feet, but it is also the light unto my path. It is good for now and it is good for later. One of the things that I have learned is that if we choose to walk with Christ moment by moment in obedience, when we get out there, we will already know what the next step is. We can walk in that direction, but when we get out there, again... If you wait until the moment of decision to decide, you'll have waited too long. And I know a lot of Christians who that's the way we begin to live our life. Well, I'll, I'll wait. I have, I'm in the moment where I've got to make a decision. And most of the time when we make a decision like that, we, we tell ourselves, and see if, I'm not, see if I'm not in the ballpark here. We tell ourselves, well, I've got to make a decision now, so I'll make this decision. But the next time this decision comes up, I'll be ready to make the right one. But I'm desperate now. And so most of our Christian life is about making desperate decisions because we didn't prepare for the path. We're living moment by moment. And we become like the children of Israel in the Old Testament where we do what is right in our own eyes. And we judge ourselves and we evaluate ourselves based upon our intention rather than our obedience. And that is a very dangerous way to live the Christian life, is to give yourself the benefit of the doubt based upon your intention, but never asking yourself, but am I walking more like Christ than I was yesterday? And so we begin to plateau in our Christian life. And as you know, a plateau is, is truly a decline. So His Word is a lamp to our feet, and as I make decisions day by day of which direction God wants me to walk for His glory, for His presence, then I will be able to know when I get out there on the path, the decision will be much, much easier because I've created a discipline to get there. Verse 106, I have sworn an oath and confirmed it. 
Now, I think what the psalmist is saying here is that there is going to be a consistent, constant internal struggle. It's going to be ongoing and it's going to be uh, intense at times. Why else would he say, I've sworn an oath. How many of you have ever said this? Maybe you're, you, maybe you're not ready to be fully honest yet. Uh, so I'll, I'll lead us in, in that. Have you ever prayed, Lord, if I've never meant it before, I mean it this time? Anybody ever want to be honest enough to say that? All right. Some of us are really not ready for honesty yet. That's okay. That's all right. I have prayed that more times than I care to admit. Lord, if I've never meant it before, I mean it now. That doesn't mean that I didn't mean it before. It means that I've grown to a place where I'm desperate again. Or I've slipped to a place where I... I don't, I don't even know if I meant it the last time I've, I've prayed it. I'm not talking about just salvation. I'm talking about those daily decisions. Lord, I've, I've been here before, and if I've never meant it before, I know I mean it this time, right? Why would we pray that unless we are confused about the commitment that we made yesterday? So what the psalmist is saying is, I have affirmed and uh, sworn an oath, and I have confirmed it, continue to confirm it. Because there is this constant inner struggle that causes me to wilt away from my commitment. There are all these internal struggles. And these internal struggles about my peace of mind, about my desires versus God's desires, about my obedience and, and, and maybe uh, rebellion, and all of these different things that are day to day to day these things are warring against us. Sometimes we can say that we are our own worst enemy because sometimes I will talk myself out of obedience. Sometimes I will take the easy way. I'll take the lazy way. I'll take the selfish way. And sometimes we take the rebellious way and there's this internal struggle. And so I have made an oath and I have confirmed it and I'm going to confirm it again tomorrow and I'm going to confirm it again the next day. It sounds a whole lot like when Paul says that we have to make that decision daily. And Jesus says that we take up our cross daily and follow Him. That commitment to obedience requires a daily commitment. Alright, so I have sworn an oath and confirmed it. Well, swearing the oath is a confirmation, but we need continual confirmation. And so it's important for us as individual Christians... To not just make a commitment and let it go. A whole lot of people think that, are you a Christian? Yeah, I prayed a prayer when I was seven. Yeah, I prayed a prayer when I was in college. Yeah, I prayed. Listen, Christian life is not about praying a prayer. The Christian life is about the confirming of it. Every step we take is a reaffirmation of what we've said yes to Jesus Christ too. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I love that he says righteous rules because that righteous is the part I want to forget. When I am living in obedience, I have to remind myself that they are the right rules. They're not just rules. They're not ways of God keeping me down or subordinate. They are righteous, meaning that they are these rules are in right standing with God's character and His nature. It may not seem good for me at the time because I'm evaluating His rules based on my wants. And so they are, they are actually pretty restrictive. But when I compare what He wants for me by what is good for me, I am able to walk in more in obedience. So what I mean to say is this. 
how many of you remember taking medicine when you were a kid? And now there's like cherry flavor and bubblegum flavor. Why, why wasn't that available when I was a kid? I mean, it tasted like medicine when I was a kid. And, and if you were sick, you have to take your medicine. And what would your parents say to you? Or, or uh, your vegetables. Uh, they would make you eat your vegetables and say they are good for you. You know what? They're not good for me. Let me tell you what's good for me. Chocolate. <laughs> Ice cream. Uh, nutter butters. These are good for me. Hot fudge cake. These are good for me. But they're not good for me. Right? If I evaluate them by what someone who loves me more thinks. So when I think about God's righteous rules, they may not always seem righteous because what I want for my life is different than what he wants. So when I am reconfirming my obedience to his ways, I have to remember that what he wants for me is much better than I want. And what he wants for me is righteous. His righteous rules. So, verse 107. I am severely afflicted. Now, for David, this context is much different than for our daily context. He's actually being hunted. Uh, people are truly trying to kill him and to assassinate him. And so, in a very subdued way, I am severely afflicted. Now, for us, God did not write this for David. He wrote it through David for our posterity's sake, through the psalmist for our posterity's sake. So this is also relevant to us, and we are often severely afflicted. That doesn't mean that we have mercenaries hunting us, but what it means is, is that to walk in the righteous rules of God, there are going to be difficult circumstances. We, from time to time, are going to be and experience uh, severe affliction. There are also not only internal problems, that's me, but there are external issues that will distract me from the Word of God. So sometimes I talk myself out of obedience. Sometimes the things around me talk me out of obedience. And it's not that they're saying, you shouldn't read the Word of God today. It just comes in the form of distractions, fears, disappointments, these sorts of things where I'm thinking about myself instead of the glory of the Lord and His righteousness, see? So the Scripture never promises, never promises that it's going to be easy to follow the Lord. And when we follow the Lord and have to take steps of obedience, we from time to time are going to be afflicted, and even more so, sometimes severely afflicted. So the battle rages externally too. So we have an internal battle in here, and we have an external battle. Battles are byproducts of war, and the war is very distracting. Uh, it's easier to stick our head in the sand and to take chances, uh, to take our chances in war, but there is no obedience uh, in sticking our head in the sand. It doesn't require anything except just waiting it out. So let me explain what I mean by that, okay? So I am severely afflicted. Listen to this. For David... Let's talk about the internal circumstances. Uh, and I, and I, want, I want to speak, I don't want to get so far away from the passage to where I'm just, I'm just using the passage as a, as a proof text uh, to what I want to say. I want to try to stay as, as clear to the Scripture as, as, uh, as is relevant to the Scripture. But I think what, what 
what the psalmist is saying is that, that there are issues in here that are going to want to be selfish. And there are issues out here that are going to be so distracting and I'm going to get caught up in the moment and I'm going to be desperate and I'm going to make selfish, easy, comfortable decisions as well. And so the way to prevent those careless decisions are to stay devoted to the righteous rules of the Lord, uh, the word of the Lord as it pertains to this moment and as it projects out there to that moment. So I know what I want to, I know what I want to look like in Christ but you can't get out there and make a decision to look like Christ. Looking like Christ begins today with this step. Don't miss this step because it is the next step to Christ-likeness. And so there are external circumstances, internal circumstances, the things that I tell myself, the things that I feel, the, uh, what we say earlier, the, the defenses that I make, the justifications for my life and my choices that I bring to the table, all of these things start distracting me from the Word of God, and I start, I start telling the Word of God what it means instead of allowing the Word of God to tell me how to live. And this becomes to be a very, very dangerous process. And we live in that culture today where we tell the Word of God what it means instead of the reverse. And, and so I also have these things that I tell myself, these things that I believe, these things that I say to myself, we call it self-talk. And it creates anxiety, it creates depression, it creates fear, it creates pain. When we focus on ourselves all the time, we can't possibly be see outside of that. We can't see the glory of God. We can't see what God is doing at work in us and through us. We're blinded to all of that because we're focused on our paralysis. And, and also, so the, the external circumstances, like the things we fill our mind with, like the social media, the, the entertainment, the music that we listen to, the movies that we watch, the, the relationships that we build into and allow to build into us, the things that other people, the things that we believe that other people are saying or living. Listen, you will always become what you worship. So if you spend all of your treasure on the things of this world, you're going to start looking more and more like the things of the world. We would never call that worship, but that's truly where we're devoted is to other people's opinions. And so I start living based on what other people's opinions are. Or if I surround myself with people who don't spend well, whether it's their time or it's their money, chances are I'm going to get caught up into that. I start comparing myself to that. These are all external circumstances too that rob us. Not to mention you have an enemy that is trying to destroy you. And he is trying to bombard you in ways you cannot control. The things that you don't mean to look at that you see. The things that you... And, and out of the... Uh, you know, it goes through the eye socket down into the heart and back up out of the mouth, right? So we have to be careful gauging what we say, gauging what we listen to, what we see, and what we're, what we're speaking. All of these things are paramount. And that's what he is saying. I am severely afflicted. Recognizing that I am oftentimes under the authority of those external things that are brought. Now we'll listen to this though. I'm severely afflicted, but it is often so easy for us to just go to the cave and hide and wait out the affliction. And that's what a lot of Christians, I, I recognize that we do when the, when the war gets tough, when the internal and the external are really raging at any one moment. When you're at war, you stick your head in the sand and just hope that maybe the battle will be over soon. I would say all of that in this context to say this. 
This is what it looks like for Christians to stick their head in the ground, in the, in the sand. When you are depending upon me to do all the feeding of the word, you're sticking your head in the sand. When you are allowing your Sunday school teacher or your Bible study leader or your life group leader to do all of the feeding and the teaching to your spirit, you're sticking your head in the sand. When you're allowing some TV preacher or some author of a book to do all of your feeding, you're sticking your head in the sand. And you're missing the opportunity to be actively engaged in the Word of God yourself and allow the Spirit to breathe through the Word of God directly into your spirit. That's where life resides. Otherwise, you're just disengaged, hoping to miss the frustration of life. And it doesn't work that way. Now, go back to 107. I am severely afflicted. And then he says what? Give me, give me life. Now, here's how you know I didn't write the book of Psalms. If I would have written it, I would have said, I am severely afflicted. Give me comfort, relief, peace. Right? But he doesn't say that. He says, give me life. So the answer is not comfort as so many of us pray for. The answer to affliction is not comfort. The answer to affliction is life. And, and by getting life, a byproduct of that is comfort. So this word life is interesting. What, what the psalmist is saying is not give me, uh, you know, don't kill me, don't allow me to die. That's not what he is saying at all. If you go back to the original Hebrew, you will see exactly what he is saying, and it's pretty easy. In fact, the, the, uh, if we were to translate this directly from the Hebrew, it would say, you know, I am severely afflicted. Give me revival, O Lord. Revive me. Give me refreshment. I need my head to be lifted. Help me to come up for air. Help me to lift my head up one more time because our tendency when we are afflicted, whether we choose to be or whether it's chosen for us, our tendency is to wilt and to fade and to wither. And we do this day by day, sometimes in ways that we don't even recognize when there are, when there are difficulties in our life, we just wilt. But what the Word of God says is that the way around that is give me life. Give me refreshment. Give me renewal. Lord, help me come to the top again. Help me breathe again. Revive me. Keep me up. The next passage, the next verse or the phrase says, Give me life, O Lord, according to your what? So what is the thing that keeps our head above water? What is the thing that as we are wilting, we can remember that brings us back to life? The Word of God. And how often we neglect it. What we're looking for is a circumstantial change or is a, a word from a friend or maybe the conclusion of an argument or maybe if we felt better or we got that promotion or we got something to happen, I would feel a little bit better. Maybe if my marriage would work out or maybe if my kids acted differently, then I would be able to keep my head above water. How many of us know that whenever we things are not good, boy, if this thing could just happen, then... How are you doing? Well, I'm keeping my head above water. Well, that sounds great. I wish I had that kind of life. It sounds like... These things can't keep our head above water. The Word of God promises there's only one thing that can keep us up. Only one thing that can revive us. And that's continuing in the Word of God. 
in these day-by-day, moment-by-moment decisions that help us to guide to our future. That's the way that our life begins to make sense. It's saying no to the frustration, saying no to the circumstances, saying no to the distractions, and putting all of our effort into the Word of God. Some slip over time. Some slip and they don't know they're slipping. Some are very slippery. But here's what I know. We all shrink. We all wilt when we're afflicted. We all fade away when there are distractions. But that's why it is so important for us not to put our eyes and our attention on the distractions, but to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Look at verse 108. Accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord. He, he could have said, accept my offerings of praise. But he doesn't. Because oftentimes our offerings of play, praise are not free will. Sometimes our offering of praise is, now you, just, you can just gauge yourself, I'm not going to get specific here, but there are times where we feel like if we did more, if we served more, if we praised more, maybe the Lord will help us to feel better, think better. Maybe he would order our circumstances out. Things get tough, we want to go to church. We get more faithful in church when we're not thinking correctly or circumstances get difficult because we feel like somewhere or another, if, if I were to give to God more, maybe God would give to me more. You know, maybe he would bail me out if I, if I start being more obedient. But what, but what the psalmist says here is accept my free will offerings of praise. Remember, don't take this out of context. He is being hunted. But he still has the, 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 the frame of mind to be able to say, listen, I know all my enemies are behind me. And, and I know I have lots of distractions. I know I'm shrinking away from time to time. I know that I have a lot of stuff on my plate, but I know this. There's nothing more important than me giving glory to the Lord. Nothing can take my eyes off of Jesus. Now, listen, I don't know. There's nobody in this room right now going through what David was going through when he wrote this. But he even said, accept my freewill offerings of praise, O Lord. He's not praising because he's obligated to. He's not praising because he's hoping to get something. But because our focus is on him, we want to worship him. When our focus is on our circumstances, when our focus is on our issues, that's where we're going to put our attention. But when our focus is on Jesus Christ, that's who's going to get our attention. Let this be a lesson to us. Notice what gets our focus. We need to start thinking through our minds as we're processing through life. What am I thinking about? What am I thinking about? And I can tell you, the things that you're thinking about are the things that you're feeding in your life. The things you find yourself thinking about are the things you're feeding. Now, what does he say? Look, accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. He doesn't say, I'm going to offer you praise and Lord, you bail me out of my situation. No, I'm going to praise you, Lord, so that I can be closer to you. And as I'm closer to you, we're not talking about legalism here. We're not talking about where he's trying to work and, uh, and works will save us. 
We're talking about learning to treasure Him and His ways and His Son and His Spirit and His will for our life. As we learn to treasure Him, He will be our focus. This is what Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So what do you treasure? Look at your money. Look at your time. Look at your thoughts. Look at your fears. What do you treasure? You feed these things to where they will be your treasure. And you can despise your treasure. You can actually get to the point where you have spent all this energy on your fears or on your sorrows or on your woes or on your poor me's or on your... And they grow and they become to define you. And you don't want them, but they're where you're spending all of your energies. You can deny it. You can think you can control it, but it will control you. In fact, if you take notes, write this down. What God doesn't control in your life controls you. You you control nothing. If you think you're in control, you're you're even worse than out of control. You control nothing. What God doesn't control controls you. 109. I hold my life continually in my hand. Now, the, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament is called the Septuagint. Uh, some translations, English translations, are actually translated off of the Septuagint. So if that's a translation that you use, uh, there, it's, it's probably not uh, the greatest. Uh, in fact, the Hebrew does not allow for the Septuagint's translation here, which is, uh, I hold my life in your hand continually. Uh, and that the Hebrew doesn't allow for that. It does make sense. If we were to write it, we would say, that, that actually makes sense, Lord, my life is yours. Uh, but he does say, I hold my life in my hand continually. And what that means is, is that what the psalmist is saying is, even though I'm being hunted and people want to kill me and I'm beating myself up for a lot of things, Lord, I'm ready to go. Just like a precious jewel out here in my hand that I walk around. Lord, it's, it, this isn't mine. I'm, I'm carrying it. In other words, I'm not taking my life into myself. I'm bearing my life out here. Lord, at any time that you want this, you can have it. Man, what a, what a statement to be able to say, I am in constant threat of death. I am in constant threat of danger. But Lord, here it is. If you want my life, take it. If you want them to have my life, they can have it. My life isn't mine. My life belongs to you, whether I'm here or whether I'm there. But I'm holding my life continually in my hands, just like as a precious gift that I'm offering out. Much like Elijah, when the Lord speaks in a still small voice and he comes to the mouth of the cave, or like Abraham, when the angel of the Lord comes and he goes to the door of the, the tent uh, where, he, where he was at, we should always be standing at the door to do God's will. Even if it requires danger and difficulty, even death, we hold our lives in our hand like we would a precious commodity ready to offer it unto the Lord. It's much like, again, I've already said this, but much like what Jesus would say when he's take up your cross daily. I mean, I'm holding my life out here where Paul would say, 
you know, I, I, I give my life daily. I pour myself out as a drink offering before the Lord. My life doesn't belong to me. So what about my external circumstances? Who cares? They have no control over me. What about my internal circumstances? They, they have no uh, control over me. I think what the psalmist would actually be saying here is danger or difficulty are no reasons for disobedience. As Christians, we should never consider fear. We should just keep stepping moment by moment into the, under the authority of the Word of God. At the end of verse 9, I hold my life in my hand continually. In other words, I'm always considering. I'm always considering this may be the last breath I take. But if, if you or I, I think, were to consider, Lord... This may be the last breath I take. We wouldn't say this, but I do not forget your law. I do not forget your law. In other words, the circumstance of my moment is not going to distract me away from being obedient. I will never be too desperate to be obedient. I'll never be, that's what 109 says, I will never be too desperate to be obedient in my mind or in my steps. Verse 110, the wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. There it is again. Listen, here he is. He's talking about his internal struggle with himself. I hold my life out here. It's not mine. It's yours. I gave it to you. And I have to recommit that every day. I gave my life to you, but I will not forget your law. I'm going to do what is right. Look at verse 110. The wicked have laid a snare for me. That's the external circumstances, but I do not stray from your precepts. So whether they are internal things, I'm going to be obedient. If they're external things, I'm going to be obedient. But number one thing is I have to be in His Word. His Word is my authority. Verse 111, Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. In other words, Lord, your stories are my stories. When I read the Scripture, I'm not reading about the stories that happened to Moses or Adam or... Abraham. Those are my stories. I'm building on top of those stories. Your, your heritage, Lord, is mine. Your inheritance, Lord, belongs to me. I revel in the past and I'm creating a future. My life is going to be another brick that the next generation will be able to stand on and be able to see you from the brick that I lay. I, just, I love the thought of that. In other words, he is saying, I love contributing my obedience to the obedience of the future. I, a couple, well, last, last summer, I don't ever like to put my kids on the spot, but it's a, it's a story, so I'll tell it. But Isaac and I went to Scotland, and I know you get tired of hearing me talk about Scotland, but uh, uh, in the 1730s, I had family in Ireland that had fled France uh, as Huguenots. Uh, moved to Ireland and then family in Scotland had been there forever since way before it was Scotland uh, helped to settle all of that area but uh, they married in the 1700s moved to America uh, again for persecution reasons and here we are and uh, it's kind of nice I like what you've done with the place uh, but when we were over there I had been doing a lot of research we hit the 1700s and, and quite literally the family that we that we come out of uh, settled all of Northern Ireland and Western Scotland and ruled that area and actually still do. 
uh, and rich history. From the 17s on, they don't study the genealogy, you just read history books. Just, uh, just one, one book after the other, the previous generation. Every generation has a testament of faith. I mean, literally, uh, I can, with most birth dates, but every death date, to the 400s. It's an incredibly rich history. I know it's mine, and, uh, and I know you're not interested in that. But the point of all of that is, is, is every generation that we're able to track uh, has a testament of faith. Uh, in it somewhere or another. And these were, these were incredible, incredible people, like, like signed the Westminster Catechism. I mean, just incredible, incredible folks. I say all that to say this. Uh, when we were getting ready to come home, I looked at Isaac and I said, now, as you're becoming a man, uh, you are uh, not living out my faith. But I want you to be able to see that God has been at work in our family for 1,500 years. And uh, what you do in the next 20 <laughs> will determine what he does in the next 1,000. And he went, wow. <laughs> I said, yeah. And I want you to feel every ounce of that. Right? I mean, I wear a Huguenot cross. That goes back to the 1,500s. I won't tell the story of the Huguenots, but when I look in the mirror and I see that, I'm reminded I'm not a first-generation Christian. I'm building a brick. My life is going to be a brick that's going on the family wall. I want to be a part of that, and I'm so excited to be able to leave that legacy that my mom and dad left for me, and their grandparents left for them, and their grandparents left for them, all the way back to Columba reaching northern Europe in the 400s. And now, I'm not, it was so easy for me. I'm not trying to track my genealogy. I don't know how to read that language. Uh, but uh, I'm not trying to track my genealogy anymore. I want to know which apostle I descend from. I want to know who led him to the Lord and who led him to the Lord. I want to tra- I'm trying to track my spiritual uh, ancestry uh, now because it's important for me to know I didn't just show up here. I'm standing on the shoulders of generations of people. And we are standing on the shoulders of generations of people, not just with our blood, but with our faith. We're not sitting here because of anything we've done, but generations before us built this building and left us these seats and gave us a good reputation in this community. We're building on that. And when we think about our faith, if we're always thinking about ourselves, then we can't possibly think about the legacy that's been left for us. And if you don't think about that, then you'll never think about what your decision today is going to do for your future or the future of your families. It's very important. And so what David says here is, your testimonies are my heritage forever. Your stories are my stories. Your faithfulness, Lord, is my inheritance. Now you can get excited about leaving boats and trucks and cars and property and animals and all sorts of accounts to your kids. But the thing that should excite us most most is to leave the Lord's faithfulness in your family to your kids. That's the greatest inheritance you can ever give. Make it easy for the preacher to preach your funeral. (laughs) Verse 112. I should say easier. Not easy. Verse 112. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever. 
to the end. Now, for those of you who want to just sit back and open your arms and say, I'm willing, Lord, if you'll just do it. That ain't how it works. What's the very first word in that verse? I. This is an act of the will. I incline my heart. That word incline, well, it's just like you would think of an incline, right? It's the same word uh, where Lot uh, pitched his tent. He incline it, raises it up, right? Raises it up, covers a span of area. So when we think about, it means to spread out. I incline my heart means that I want to take my heart and spread it all out over the Word of God. I don't want there to be a part of my heart that is not directly influenced by the Word of God. I have to do that. God doesn't do that for me. For, so for those of you who want to grow in the Lord, but you don't want to spend time in His Word, you can't. If you want God to work in your life without taking the next step, He won't. He's told us right here how to do it. I will incline my heart to perform to act out your statutes forever. So while your internal problems, your flesh, and your in external problems, your relationships, and the decisions that you make, and the spiritual forces against you, are waging war around you, and spiritually, trying to, the spiritual forces of wickedness trying to derail you, you have your internal problems and your external problems, how are you possibly going to make it work? Right here in your heart, in your emotion, in the center of who you are, in your personality, in your thought life. That's where you win the war. You cannot win here. You've already won here. It's in your hearts, in your mind, in your will, in your emotions, in your desires. That's where we win. That's where we perform our greatest faith is believing God's faithfulness. But you cannot do that. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the Word of God. You cannot grow in Christ apart from the Word of God. In fact, John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So when you spend time meditating upon the Word of God, this is the very breath of Jesus Himself building His life into you. The more time that you spend in the Word of God, the more confident you'll be in your next step. And if you're only concerned about taking the right next step, you won't have to worry about life out there. It'll take care of itself. And you'll be ready to make those big decisions when they come. The difficult part is finding the time. How many of us have ever said, well, how's your prayer life? Well, I just don't, I just, I don't have time to pray. Or I'll pray later. I'll pray before I go to bed. Well, I'm just exhausted. How many of you ever pray, fallen asleep praying? You say, going to go to read, read our Bible. I just don't, I don't know how people have time to read their Bible. I just, I, I mean, how many of you have ever tried to read the Bible through in a year? Make it to about January 3rd. Right? Life gets busy. It gets hurried. Oh my goodness. How important is it that we learn to spend time focused on the things that really matter, the things that give us resurrection power, the things that lift our head, the things that help us with the internal 
anxieties and fears and pains of life, the things that help us deal with the doubts and the frustrations of everything going on around us, the things that will help us deal with the spiritual forces of wickedness that try to steal, kill, and destroy the faith that is within us, the things that are real and the things that are imagined, the only way up is to incline your heart to the precepts of God, to make a decision that nothing in my life is going to be more important than sitting down with Jesus and listening to Him. That's where we win. There is no other victory. There's no other victory. Not in our works, but what we're going to, to do, perform, believe as it pertains to the Word of God. And no, I do not believe that this gets elevated to the fourth person of the Trinity. It doesn't have to. It already belongs there in the personhood of Jesus Christ, the living Word. So, in closing, I want to share a couple of things with you really quick. I want to make a reaffirmation and a recommitment to the Word of God this morning. I want for our church, and I, and I get it, I really do get it, and I don't mean this to sound passive-aggressive. Everybody doesn't want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Even every Christian doesn't want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I understand that. That, that what we're talking about right now, or getting ready to talk about, is a really big ask. I understand. But it's where the power of the resurrection is. It's where the power in overcoming is. How great would it be as we're taking step by step to be able to speak life into those around us who aren't quite out on the path as far as we are. To be able to speak life into marriages and to speak life into parents and speak life into finances. To be able to help other people get their head above water, not by your advice, but by the Word of God. So I recognize that some of us, even in this room, may not have even taken a step. You know, we're still on milk. That's, if you're willing to admit that, that's awesome. This is a great place to start. Some of us are January 3rd people every year. We mean to. We just get distracted and sidetracked. Some of us are in the Word hours a day. And we have lots to offer one another. And so... I want us to, uh, again, this is huge, and I'm going to be, I feel like I've already been talking 90 miles an hour because I wanted to get to this. But uh, some of this is going to be redundant for some of you who are already in it, but some of you aren't aware of some of these things yet. Every day uh, there is available, and again, I'm not saying that it's great. I'm just saying that it's something. Uh, we offer uh, Connect 20. Connect 20 is a, is a great tool that you can use however you see fit, but In a nutshell, uh, we think that 20 minutes a day, if you will make a commitment to spend 20 minutes a day in the presence of the Lord, it will absolutely change your life. You may choose to spend more than that as you begin to invest, but to start 20 minutes a day, we want to provide for you a worship video or song where you can sit and you can actually, you know, even sing along if, if if you are so inclined to do to do that. But to find a place where you can spend contemplative time meditating with the Word of God and begin by worship. The next section is like a short, simple paragraph that doesn't 
you know, it's not deep and you don't have to wrestle with it much, but it puts a talking point in your, in your hand. All right. So what we would ask in a very generic sort of way is, fellas, lead your families spiritually in this way. You don't have to be a spiritual giant. It's one of the reasons I started doing this nine years ago was to put some kind of an outlet in, in men's hands to say, I don't know how to lead family spiritually. Just read this and talk about this with your wife at some point in the day or your friends at some point in the day. And then at some point in the day, maybe as a husband and a wife, sit down with your kids and say, here's what God's been saying to us in a day. All it does is it just puts a talking point in your hand to be able to express your faith and your, and your, and, uh, and your prayer life. Now, some of you aren't married, or maybe you're married to an unbeliever, and so you're going to have to modify that according to your own family. I can't, we can't do that for everybody because families look so different from one another, and that's okay. Uh, but we want to make sure that you, you have that. Next is you're going to have Bible memory verses. These memory verses are verses that our kids are going to be learning on Wednesday nights. We're encouraging our families to memorize these verses together. Most weeks you're going to have an option of one or the other. One's usually shorter than the other. You can choose both if you would like. But these are very, very... I want you to know as you learn these scripture and memorize them, placing them in here, they will help you walk here, right? And we're encouraging our kids to memorize verses, but moms and dads aren't memorizing verses. And that seems somewhat hypocritical to me. So parents, memorize these verses with your kids. Teach them to them. Let them hear you reciting them too, working them out. I know you got a terrible memory and you've never been good at it. Guess what? Right? These are internal and external problems that we have and we've just believed the lie. So get good at it. You can. Okay, that's new. I've not ever said that before quite like that. Uh, <clears throat> so get good at it. But you're going to have, they're going to have Bible memory verses that they're going to be working through. We also have uh, the Bible study classes. All of our primary Bible study classes are all the same curriculum. And we provide those verses there. If you're not in a Sunday school class, you should be in a Sunday school class. If there's a reason why you're not in one that has anything to do with the classes that we offer, let us know. We'll, we'll figure that out together. But you should be in a Bible study class because it is very, very important for all of our faith to be under somebody's spiritual authority somewhere along the path. The more people, the better, in my opinion, because it creates a lot more accountability and, uh, and help. So find a Bible study class to belong to. If one's not at the right time, we'll figure all of that out together. Let me know and we'll figure it out. Uh, but those verses are there too. So even if you're not in a Bible study, if you're serving during one of those hours, you can still read along with your class. We also have the Bible in a year. We put it together chronological so that, that you will read every portion of Scripture throughout Old and New Testament. If you will do that every day for the year or catch up, I get January 3rd is tough. Uh, but if you can create that as a habit in your life, and if you miss a day, just... Just get back on the horse and, and it'll be fine, right? Uh, so uh, this year, though, we've offered something just a little bit different. So can we, can we go? There, look at there. Hey. All right. So go down to new in 2020. Can you see that? Can you, is that just a snapshot? Okay. So if you click new in 2020, Bible in a year, reading companion, we, we can't click on that. I mean, you can. It won't do anything? Okay, correct. Okay, if you click on that, it'll show you the Bible through in a year. And then there's another click there that will have 
Bible study notes. Okay, this is not Connect 20. This is an addition to that. But as you're reading Genesis 1 all week long, Genesis 2, you know, chronologically through it, uh, every day has a different reading that will actually break down the scripture that you're reading. It's not Connect 20, which is kind of up here, gen- generic in general, uh, but it gets very specific. Day 1, day 2, day 3, day 4, day 5. It's five days that goes along with the Connect 20, okay? So I say all of that to say this, Bible study is everything. Spending time in the Word is everything. And again, this you might find better things than this, but you won't find, you won't find a more complete composite and being in the Word of God anywhere. I don't know of anybody else in the world that's doing this. Uh, but we also want to offer to you the life groups. It's a great place to discuss the sermon. I, I know whenever I leave uh, church and people catch me in the hallway and say, Hey, Pastor, when you said this, I'm like, I didn't even say that. I don't even know if I believe that. Uh, I'm just kidding, kind of. Uh, but people say things to me all the time that they hear me say that I don't think I say it. Uh, and, and I hear people talking about things that they got from the message, and I'm thinking, that was a very weird thing to have gotten from that sermon. Do you not know what I wanted you to hear? No, I'm just kidding. But we are better when we talk collectively with one another because what the Spirit says to one of us, He may not say to all of us. And so we're all building the same brick. So it would make sense for us to... You know, I know that's weird and it's awkward, especially if you don't know people very well. But it is a great way to kind of to kind of learn how to listen to others and and uh, and focus on the Word of God. This year, we're also going to spend more time focusing on D groups, uh, which are short for discipleship groups. Our women are about to launch theirs as well. Men, there's a few of those that are already existing. Uh, a dozen or so of those that are already working. A super small group of people, whether they're men or women, but not both. Uh, four or five uh, in a group and getting, getting together uh, you know, a couple times a month or, or so. Groups can decide that. There are no leaders in these groups necessarily. It's pretty much just, how's your faith? How's your Bible study? How's your prayer life? How's your prayer with your spouse? Or how's your relationship with your family? How's your whatever it is that you're struggling with? What's going on in your life? How can we pray for one another? And let's maybe eat together, share a meal, and, and then go home. It's not complicated. It's super informal. It's easy, and it goes along with the Bible memory verses. As we're memorizing the Scripture, we're actually applying that to one another's heart. And it, you know, grown men sitting around struggling through memorizing Scripture. Uh, and, and women, uh, too, by the way. So these are great ways to start applying the Word of God in our, into our hearts. These things have existed for some time, but it's really hard for us every week to get up and say, hey, here's some things you should know, because it takes a long time to explain it. And so if you've got a better way of helping us explain it to new folks that are coming in, uh, I'm open to hear that too, because these are really, really great tools that will help in your pocket put victory. It'll help you know what to do in any given moment. And it will also give you resurrection power each and every day as we meditate on the Word of God and spending time on Him and not focused on our circumstances. And what that will do is that will put power in your pocket for the people that God has placed in your influence. And so I, I pray that God would use our church in this coming year in ways that we've continued to pray, but in ways we couldn't have even imagined. He's already using us that way. I'm just praying that He will use each and every one of us that way. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word because, uh, you know, as we look around the world, there are so many people still without it. And Lord, I, I, I'm afraid that 
The reason for that is we have not even taken uh, advantage of the power that's within these words. I ask, Lord, that you would uh, convict us. And as we begin this week with a new opportunity to start afresh, uh, maybe not making resolutions, but even if we do make a vow, Lord, that we would recommit it every day because we may slip and our heads may go below water from time to time. But as, as we do, Lord, may we renew our commitment uh, to you and may we walk in resurrection power and may we die daily to ourself and live for you. I pray that as we focus on taking in more of your word, that we would also be able to focus on lifting up one another more and more with your word. May we prefer one another. May we submit one to another. Lord, may we truly represent the first century church that you established. And I pray, Lord, your blessing upon us, not only in this congregation, but use this congregation, Lord, for the River Valley and around the world. We thank you, Lord, that you are with us and that you promise that you will be with us even to the end. I think of this psalm when David said that, uh, that we renew this commitment to the end and your word will be with us all the way to the end. And, uh, and that was your last word to us, that you will be with us to the end of the age. And so, Lord, I pray that you would continue to speak uh, into our church and into our families for your greatest glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.